0: Good morning. I'm Leslie Thatcher, 806 on this Tuesday, February 28th, 14 degrees and snowing here in Old Town Park City. And on the phone with us from the ABC Forecast Center, meteorologist Thomas Gieboy. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Leslie. Happy Tuesday. Hope your uh, drive into work wasn't too bad this morning, but we've been just kind of looking at the, the camera in Park City uh, on Kearns Boulevard, and it's still snow covered, even though the uh, Plows have been there consistently, been through there consistently this morning. And we're going to still hold on to a pretty good chance for snow in Park City as we go through today. However, we could pick up at least a little bit of a break through the middle portions of the day. But the winter storm warning for the Wasatch back does remain in effect through at least five o'clock tomorrow afternoon. And that's because even though this system is going to gradually clear as we go from this morning into the afternoon. Like we talked about earlier this week, we do have another storm system on its heels that's going to be arriving by the second half of today and will bring impacts through tomorrow. So again, while we could pick up a little bit of a break, we're still going to at least hold on to a chance for snow showers in Park City, a daytime high of 24. But with those breezy conditions, it's likely going to feel like temperatures are in the teens or single digits throughout most of the day. And we could pick up some minor accumulations during the daytime hours, maybe on the magnitude of one to three inches. But as that next system moves in, the chance for snow increases once again, the overnight load tonight dropping to 21 degrees ahead of a cold front that's going to move in. And by tomorrow, we'll be looking at a daytime high of 29, still looking breezy, but snow looking likely throughout the day on Wednesday. And by the time all is said and done within the winter storm warning in Park City, we can add on an additional five to 10 inches of snow which means a lot more on the way and we definitely could see some more slippery conditions for the evening commute tonight but then especially for the wednesday morning commute by wednesday afternoon into wednesday night the low pressure will start to move down into southeastern utah and we'll start to clear moving into colorado and then the chance for snow will start to go down by tomorrow night and during the overnight hours i think we'll go to mostly dry conditions in park city so overnight on wednesday as we drop to 10 degrees and on thursday Looks like it's going to be a bluebird day with plenty of fresh snow. Folks are probably going to want to get out to the mountain, the daytime high of 26. So looking nice for our Thursday, a very typical February day for this time this time of year. But then on Friday, as quickly as we get some calm conditions, another system drops in from our northwest. Shouldn't have the same impact of the storms that we're seeing out there currently, but snow is still going to be likely for our Friday. Then we're back to dry conditions, mainly on Saturday ahead of what could be more active weather. As we go from Saturday night into early next week, as daytime highs will moderate a little bit, we'll be closer to freezing with overnight lows, more so in the upper teens, to around 20 degrees after a pretty chilly night on Friday. So active weather, the name of the game, the next 24 to 48 hours dry on Thursday, so again on Friday, dry on Saturday, and then back to snowy conditions possibly the end of the weekend into next week, Leslie.
0: Wow. Okay. Thanks, Thomas. And taking a look in the backcountry on the phone with us from the Utah Avalanche Forecast Center, we've got Dave. Good morning.
2: Good morning, how are you doing today? Doing
0: great, thanks.
3: Good, Um, today we're looking at a high avalanche danger on upper elevation slopes for new and wind drifted snow avalanches. Um, Humans are very likely to trigger an avalanche that could be one to three feet deep and up to 200 feet wide. And the avalanche danger is considerable in mid mid and lower elevations where human triggered avalanches are still likely, um, just considerable at the lower, mid and lower elevations because there's a little bit less wind in those zones. lots of snow and wind overnight. And um, like, as you heard from the weather forecast earlier, um, the more snow and wind we have, the higher the avalanche danger
0: will be. Dave, Dave, thanks. Thank you. Well, stay tuned. Coming up on the local news hour this morning, I'll be checking in with Deputy Summit County Manager Jana Young. We'll be taking a look at Wednesday's agenda later on. KUR political reporter Sean Higgins in with uh, legis- uh, on the phone with the legislative report. Again, three more days of the forty-five day session, and finally, the executive director of Better Boundaries, Katie Wright. Uh, has the latest on the litigation over redistricting and some of the bills that Better Boundaries is watching in the state legislature dealing with election and initiative issues. Well, again, we've got a two-hour delayed start today within the Park City School District. Weilman also calling for a two-hour delay. Basically, everything starting two hours later. That means buses picking up two hours later and going from there. And uh, expected to be slow slow moving with uh, a lot of traffic coming in towards the canyons in Park City Mountain. School will end on its regular schedule. Also, this daily school lunch program is available today. Well, we've got uh, 16 inches of new snow in the last 24 hours being reported at Park City and Deer Valley Resorts. 40 lifts scheduled to turn at Park City with 322 runs, 139 of those groomed, including Temptation and Alpenglow, with 21 lifts, 103 runs open at Deer Valley with 58 of those groomed, five of the seven bulls scheduled to open today. Birdseye and Bluebell are groomers' choices of the day. Again, check out uh, the websites or Twitter, as they are doing a lot of snow safety work today and some of those lifts will be on delayed openings and let's see white pine touring reporting about a foot of new snow blowing and drifting and will do their best to get the three five and armstrong loops opened and stay uh and continue to groom during the day the farm of course is open but it likely won't get groomed given all of the wind Um, skate skiing, probably really soft and not as fun as the uh, classic skiing will be today. And let's see, it's Snyderville Basin saying it's working on clearing its safe schools to uh, pass to school. Saying that it's probably best to get out there and snowshoe today. Round Valley uh, is doing an abbreviated groom, um, basically along the Highland and Silver Quinns area. Also, they'll get to the Rail Trail and the wasatch trails foundation saying that they are on hold until after the storm they'll get to the parking lot later today to clear that and recommend that folks grab their snowshoes and then head out to the trails later on lots of new snow to report we still have some road closures uh, at the base of big and little cottonwood canyons Um, slow moving along interstate 80 eastbound with snow packed roads Also looks like we have an incident there at US 40, headed southbound, and then another one closer to Heber City in the northbound lanes. Um, It says no lanes impacted, but they are saying it could be five to 15 minute waits there. Uh, Also looks like we've got an incident. Oh, just a reminder that uh, traction, so chains and or four wheel drive required headed up to Empire Pass. Well, Snyderville Basin planning officials will meet later today. Several zoning amendments and applications are on the agenda, including one from the Winter Sports School. With more on that, KPCW's Connor Thomas has details.
2: The Winter Sports School allows athletes to attend classes during summer so they can spend more wintertime training. In 2013, it transitioned from operating as an independent school to a charter school and moved from a temporary place at Utah Olympic Park to its current home across from Canyons Village. But Tess minor Farah, head of the school, says its current 9,000 square feet, a converted single-family home, is just too small for the number of students and faculty.
4: We are bursting at the seams. (laughs) We have uh, lots of shared classrooms. We have um, a, um, a large space that serves as an art studio some part of the year and a science lab the rest of the year. We'd like dedicated spaces for all of those. Um, uh, purposes, we need meeting spaces, we need spread out spaces."
2: The WSS expansion in 2013 included approval for more square footage, parking, and students. But construction hasn't started and the school wants to include an outdoor amphitheater in the build-out that wasn't in the original plan. So it needs to go back to the Planning Commission. Minor Farah says right now the priority is not to increase the student population, just to expand the facilities to meet existing needs. Phase two expansion would increase the number of students from 120 to 160 and staff from 16 to 20 over the next decade. County staff have recommended the planning commission approve the request and all other agenda items being considered Tuesday. Those other four items on the agenda are all about redrawing zoning boundaries around the basin. The first is in Hidden Cove where a vacant lot would be dissolved into two neighboring lots which each have a single family home on them. Another is in Glenwild, where the owner of two lots would like to expand a home on one of them. Similar to Hidden Cove, The two lots would be merged to allow the owner to expand the home lawfully. Then the commissioners will consider an application to add part of the residential Gilmore subdivision to the neighboring Silver Creek Commerce Center zone. The same applicant is also asking for a boundary change to the Gilmore lot that technically must be approved by the Summit County Council. On that one, the Planning Commission will give a positive or negative recommendation to the council. The Planning Commission will meet Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the Richens Building in Kimball Junction. And a link to join via Zoom can be found in the online version of this report at kpcw.org. Connor Thomas, KPCW News.
0: Well, the Summit County Council meets tomorrow starting in work session at 4 o'clock. In the studio with a preview, I have Deputy County Manager Jenna Young. Good morning. Good morning. I guess first off, we should note that the council will be meeting at Ecker Hill Middle School starting at 4
5: o'clock. That's correct. Uh, Yeah, that's to accommodate the Dakota Pacific public hearing we have that evening. We don't have a space in the basin large enough for the crowds we're expecting. Okay.
0: Uh, Meeting kicks off with you giving the uh, legislative update. We've talked a lot about... uh, Uh, The Senate Bill 84 even heard from State Representative Brian King, who's told us that likely nothing can be done about that. But um, as someone who has watched the legislature for a while now, should... Something I'd asked him, you know, should we think about... some legislation that wouldn't allow for such quick decisions to be voted
5: on when substitutions like that are made at the last minute? Yeah, you know, it is, can be a frustrating process, not just for citizens, but I know for representatives as well. We've heard from all of our Summit County representatives and senators that they're, they were blindsided by this substitute. They're not happy with what's going on uh, at the Capitol. It does seem like this is sort of the, you know, the mode of operations anymore. Uh, I was talking to folks who've been in the legislature a long time and uh, in former times and talked about how it didn't used to be this way. You know, the leadership used to be um, pretty disciplined about making sure there was transparency and people bill sponsors were talking to special interests and affected communities before bringing items forward so it's it, it does it's hard not to feel a little helpless as a citizen member or a, a community that's directly impacted by those decisions I think the best thing that we can do is to continue to work on building relationships and show the legislators all the great things we're doing up here in Summit County and to try to correct the narrative of what lobbyists are whispering in their ears. Uh, We've tried to do that this last summer. You know, we were successful in bringing a delegation from the Senate to learn about our transportation and transit efforts. We tried to do a similar delegation with house members to look at our affordable housing projects. Hopefully we'll be lucky in in doing that this summer. Um, We did have a very successful tour with a photographer from the Deseret News who spent, I think two and a half hours with Roger Armstrong, touring the whole county and all of of our affordable housing projects. And there's a lot, there's a lot to share and a lot to tell. And so uh, that's where our focuses are now. We're we're happy the legislature's wrapping up this week so we can get through this session and uh, we'll debrief in March and figure out a strategy for how we can do better next year.
0: Yeah. Um, any luck in getting a meeting with uh, Governor Cox?
5: Yeah, uh, I do think we have a meeting scheduled next week with him. Uh, it'll be a short meeting, but we're going to, again, try to tell our story. and appeal to his sympathies around local control and let him know that this bill doesn't just impact this one development but it has implications for mida and the olympics and our overall road infrastructure and um, some of the you know the work we're doing with udot and um, in addition to again taking that control away from local citizens and determining their future
0: yeah there was some talk that uh governor cox you know or some pressure to for him to veto the bill but my understanding still enough votes um, there to override any veto he might put out. So he's maybe just not gonna risk the political capital.
5: Yeah, well, we're still gonna make that request. I mean, I, I, I we're aware of that we're uh, on an uphill battle, but at least if he does veto it, it gives us a few more weeks to talk to legislators and try to get our story out there to let them know really what's going on. Cause I, I imagine others were blindsided by this effort as well.
0: Yeah. So, has anybody else stepped up and saying, "Hey, this is going to impact us"? I mean, do we know that? Well,
5: uh, I do want to give kudos to Representative Kira Berkland, who has introduced HB two thirty three. This was a bill that she made as a priority bill and was committed or promised a hearing on it that would repeal the provisions from HB 462 from last session that targeted Summit County. She was scheduled to present it last Friday. She had asked Roger to co-present it with her. We were down at the Capitol ready to do that. It was last on the agenda. Um, We were told she was gonna even offer a substitute to that bill that would have repealed the provisions this year targeting Summit County. Unfortunately, the committee ran out of time and they were not able to hear the bill. We've been looking to see if it's going to get rescheduled and it doesn't look like it will. Today is the last day for the standing committees to meet as they wrap up the session this week. What we're also thankful for though is not just the effort that she's put forth, but she also got her... Other, the other members of the Summit County delegation, both in the House and the Senate to also co-sponsor the bill. And there was quite a bit of support around it. We're, we're thinking she probably had the votes to get it out of committee and maybe that's why it wasn't heard. So, um, you know, there are efforts. I think we do have some allies and we'll just continue to utilize those relationships and foster them. All right. Um,
0: Do you know how things ended up with the mail in balloting? There was a bill that would have given county clerks the choice whether to continue with mail in or only in-person voting?
5: Yeah, the bill you're referring to, I believe, uh, did not make it to committee or out of committee. So it does look to be dead this year. Uh, from what I understand in talking to the clerk yesterday, I think a lot of the elections bills they were concerned about have either been resolved or will not make it through this process. But I mean, of all the affiliate groups this late in the session, they were still following over 30 bills. There's always so many and efforts to try to change election laws. So we will have to to in this area as well as others do a debrief after the session to really understand the new mandates and all the changes that affect us from this session.
0: Okay. There is a water bill that would apparently prohibit irrigation except for between April 1 and October 1 each year. Agricultural municipal water projects and golf courses are exempted as well as trees and shrubs. So it doesn't seem too punitive here, especially for us.
5: Well, it's an interesting, this is HB 538. We were just made aware of it yesterday morning. And I think it's important for citizens, at least to be aware of this because it does create a criminal penalty if you are watering your lawn, but outside of the period of April 1st, October 1st. I don't think we're so concerned about the April De- um restriction because we're, we'll probably still have snow here at that time. But as you get into October, I mean, sometimes folks are watering out here even into November. So that will be a change. But, uh, you know, I think it's just something for people to be aware of, especially if they have water rights that say they can irrigate during that period of time. Uh, but I think it is a, an effort to try to address the drought conditions in our state.
0: Uh, Any other concerns as we have three days left and we know anything could happen?
5: Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's more just what's been done to us. Uh, (laughs) We are concerned about SB 175. This was actually a bill that the Utah Association of Counties was pushing for to help rural counties with some funding shortfalls for their Class B and Road C class B and C road maintenance dollars. It would set up a $40 million fund that would be split among the third through six class counties, as well as $6 million ongoing that would be distributed based on your weighted lane miles uh, or road miles. Unfortunately, Summit County was explicitly excluded from that bill. We are the only third-class county that will not receive this funding. That was also, it feels like another attack. Uh, We obviously have very critical road infrastructure to the state's economy that we maintain every year. In fact, uh, we are in the county maintaining almost 74% of that as opposed to what the cities are maintaining. Um, We, of all the third-class counties, we are maintaining the largest number of. Those roads, uh, except for Uinta County, they're the only ones that have more than us, and already we receive less money from the state than everyone except for Wasatch County. Our costs have gone up about eighty-three percent in the last two years, so we are disappointed that we don't get access to these dollars. And um, you know, we worked through UAC to try to get back included in the bill, as well as our our legislators and uh, we were not successful. So what's the exemption? Just, it just says,
0: except for Summit County? Well,
5: it's interesting the way they did it. Um, We are the only county that has implemented the fifth of the fifth quarter option sales tax for transportation and transit. And so they put that in the bill, uh, obviously to the date by when we did implement that tax. So it was a way to single us out. So they're basically saying you can pay for it yourself since you've implemented increased
0: taxes on people. It's what it appears to be, yes. Hmm. Um, Do we know anything more about the uh, UDOT uh,
5: funding that was approved last year, that $30 million? for yeah, their BRT? That's the argument we're bringing to the governor because it, it appears with these two recent bills, both SB 84 and HB 364, that are funding uh, for that, that $30 million could be threatened. Uh, again, because they link it to uh, the HTRZ plan that we did not submit. So, um, we're continuing to have conversations about that and trying to protect those dollars and to make folks realize that it impacts a lot of the state priorities. The other thing we were disappointed about is uh, Unfortunately, High Valley Transit was also pulled into this fight with us in the legislature and their appropriations request for about $7.2 million for a new, their new operations facility was not funded as well. So um, again, that only hurts MIDA and our regional expansion, which of course the, the state cares about. So we're trying to again, share that and, and make all the legislators aware of the consequences of these efforts. Wow. Uh, <laughs> we've got a target on our back yeah uh, let's see.
0: Of course we got to mention upcoming we've got the public hearing Wednesday for the Dakota Pacific real estate project. Um, this is happening 5 to 8:30 p.m. again at Ecker Hill middle School and you guys got to be out by 8:30. I guess you know we've heard a lot from the public on this. What is it that that the
5: council needs to hear from from people other than we don't like it? Well, this is the first opportunity the public has had to weigh in on the current plan, which is the Plan C, which Dakota Pacific just presented earlier this month to the Council. And, you know, the Council's really committed to continuing through its process, its public process, and making sure that citizens have an opportunity to weigh in. The plan has been substantially altered since the last time the public had a chance to comment. There are other amenities in there that Dakota Pacific has included, such as the Central Park concept they've also reduced their overall footprint. So uh, we, uh, the council again, wants to hear the feedback from the community on those issues and see where we stand before they make a decision. Okay, so we've got a public hearing uh, Wednesday
0: and then the following Wednesday, March 8th with a expected vote on the following Wednesday, March 15th. That's correct. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see. Council uh, will be previewing the preliminary design for the new Silver Summit Services Building. This is on the uh, F.J. Gilmore, Florence Gilmore parcel. So what's this, what's this building for?
5: What's going to happen here? Yeah, so a quick review of our history. Uh, back in, gosh, 2019, I think we started these conversations and then in 2020 started working Uh, Pretty with a concerted effort on it. Um, The county has reviewed, we have a facilities master plan. We are assessing where our needs are and we have found that the sheriff's office especially and as well as our criminal division for our attorney's office is in need of space deputies are working on top of each other. Some employees have been assigned to closet spaces <laughs> to work out of, it's, in a, it's a pretty bad situation, not to mention that our justice facility has a lot of maintenance issues. And so um, we are looking to build additional space for the sheriff's office, as well as our, our uh, attorney's office. This uh, plan also has moving the Department of Motor Vehicle out of the Sheldon Richens Building and into a new facility with the idea that Richens then would be converted more into library space as well as meeting spaces, our conference rooms are booked constantly. There's a big demand, not just in county operations, but also in the community. And so uh, the council approved actually a, a close to $20 million bond back in 2021 for capital facilities. There were additional needs we had in our public works department as well uh, for making their locker rooms more accessible, as well as adding some office space for our stormwater team. There was also a need to for sort, uh, salt, Storage, equipment storage, and then there was a state requirement that we had to move our oil storage above ground. Mm And so um, the bond also went to that project. And so um, back in starting in 2021, we had contracted with GSBS architects to start designing a new facility on the FJ Gilmore parcel, which is the 125 developable acres the county has along the US 40 corridor across from the Home Depot in the Silver Summit area. This uh, architecture term, architecture firm helped us subdivide that Gilmore parcel two into seven lots. And so one of the lots is where we will be building this new silver summit. Um, county services building. It's a very exciting uh, endeavor, endeavor in my opinion, in addition to providing the space that our sheriff office needs, it will also have a fairly large convention space, which is a requirement for us using our transient room tax funds on this building, as well as a high tech place for the county council to meet so that when we do have large public hearings, we don't have to go to Ecker. Uh, Although we're very thankful of the school district for letting us use their facilities but we will have our own where we can host those public hearings. Another exciting thing that this building offers is shell space for future child care center that we are looking at as a need, particularly for our employees for recruitment and retention, but also for the community. So uh, this building actually checks a lot of the boxes for the priorities and goals in the county around sustainability, uh, employee recruitment, Um, retention, our transit initiatives, uh, inclusion. I'm very excited to see what the council thinks about the all user bathrooms that are included in the design. And it also includes some future expansion space. As we know, the county will continue to grow and will have additional needs. We have a tendency in the county to build a facility. And by the time we move into it, we've already outgrown it. So we're trying to avoid that with this yeah Uh, project
0: the 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 issue though is that it's almost 10 million dollars
5: over budget yeah this is a big concern and seems to be a prevailing issue Uh, we've learned a lot from high valley transit who is ahead of us in the construction of their facility and they have a lot also in the same area of the county and they have found when they started preparing their site in order to construct the facility on that they've hit a lot of bedrock and difficult soils and topography challenges and they're going to spend upwards of $2 million on blasting alone to get that rock removed. So we decided to build in that contingency into this budget which is the majority of the increase in the cost. The other things the other thing we discovered unfortunately was when we presented that $27.3 million budget to the council last year there was a about almost $5 million worth of construction costs that were in the cost estimator that somehow didn't make it into the estimate. And these were things involving general conditions um, like our design contingency, insurance, inspections, bond, profit, those types of things. So the consultant is telling us that that $27 million budget should have been closer to 31 last year. So it should have been only a $5 million difference this time around, which is still substantial but we can explain again through the site conditions and site work as well as inflation. So um, first they have to approve the cost increases, huh? Yes, that's primarily where we're going to be uh, leading the council in that discussion tomorrow. Um, not so much on the design, although we're very excited to preview that with them, but really to get direction. What do you want to do with this? It's it's obviously a concerning situation. It's a lot of money. Um, we do know we're going to have higher than anticipated TRT revenues from last year that we can apply to the building if the council wants to. But really, you know, do you want us to value engineer and cut things out to get back to that $27 million budget? Or are you willing to fund this uh, shortfall. Okay.
0: I'm out of time, Jen. I got to leave it there. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Well, the final week of the Utah State Legislature, as we've been talking about with, uh, for this session with business wrapping up midnight Thursday on the phone with a look ahead at the next three days. I've got KUR KU, political reporter, Sean Higgins. Good morning, Sean.
3: Good morning, Leslie.
0: So let's see. Um, what, do, what do you guys got your eye on?
3: Well, anything and everything kind of everything goes in this last week, we're going to be working up till midnight until literally until the clock strikes midnight on the last day of the session is when legally they can't work anymore and can't pass any more bills unless they call a special session. We covered a lot of ground in the first uh, few weeks of the session. We obviously talked a lot about the transgender bills. There's some abortion things that still uh, need to be finally resolved, um, although they seem to be moving quickly. Uh, Things like tax cuts, teacher pay, controversial school choice bills were all tackled early in the session. So that does leave quite a bit of space for some other things to get done. We've seen some proposals for some pretty controversial diversity, equity, and inclusion bills that would actually target state programs that encourage um, more diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those have seemed to have stalled out um, as of yesterday, but uh, one has been resurrected, as they say, in a different committee. Um, That is actually taking place this afternoon, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. But the long and the short of it is anything can happen in the last days of the Utah legislature.
0: That's exactly right. Um, Let's get an update on some of the bills I know that uh, Summit County is watching. One of those uh, short-term rentals, House Bill 291. What can you tell us about this?
3: Yeah, so that one passed through the House earlier uh, on a vote of 43 to 26. So still some opposition from from both parties on this one. Short-term rentals are an interesting case because... I think, as everyone who listens to KPCW knows, they're a big issue in the greater Park City area, but they're also an issue in other parts of the state as well. I know Moab deals with this. A lot of uh, municipalities in the Salt Lake Valley also struggle with the sheer volume of short term rentals. I know there are a lot of communities in southern Utah who do as well, but on the other hand, state lawmakers are very in favor of individual property rights and you can do with your property what you choose. And if you want to rent it out, that is your prerogative. However long you rent it out for should be your prerogative as well. Um, And so this bill, it's moved on to the Senate. It's in a Senate committee this week. Um, It would just kind of clarify some of the language around what a short-term rental is and further clarify that you can't punish someone just for um posting their property on a short-term rental website um i think looking at the, the two sponsors on this bill representative musulman and then senator Cullimore, who's very um active in the tenants rights space he is a well-known um landlord advocate um let's just call it that way uh in in the legal field and then also up on capitol hill so we're definitely keeping an eye on this one there's a bit of give and take here i know uh, the people of the Park City area are gonna be watching this one closely, and so will we.
0: Yeah, um, and I guess the, the, the issue with short-term rentals is is that when you can rent it out, then you've lost one more long-term rental, which is, just happened to, to the Park City Summit County area over the years, right? I mean, we had, we had plenty of properties to rent, except for now that they're short-term rentals.
3: Exactly, I think looking at it from a purely economic standpoint, it makes a lot more financial sense for a property owner to go the short-term rental route than the long-term rental route. They will simply just make more money throughout the year. Um, but you also enter that uh, uh, other consequence of having less, um, more attainable rental options for employees of, say, Park City Mountain Resort or Deer Valley or any of the other businesses in town who can afford to own a home. So it's very... very uh, it's, a, it's an interesting subject and something that lawmakers are certainly attuned to, given that it's, a, it's an issue across the state.
0: Yeah. All right, uh, another bill I know that uh, Summit County has its eyes on, Senate Bill 173 dealing with alcohol changes.
3: Yeah, so this one passed um, 20 to three in the Senate um, yesterday. It's, it's a big bill um, and, the, and some of the highlights right here is it um, adds 20 new bar licenses Throughout the state, I know that's been a a point of contention, um, for a number of years now because there's a set number of bar licenses that can be in the state and they just kind of rotate as bars go out of business. And so adding 20 to that is, uh, certainly a big number. I'm not sure where exactly those will be awarded. Maybe a couple in the Park City area, but I would assume quite a few in the Salt Lake area, maybe north towards Ogden as well. 35 new restaurant licenses. So another, uh, big number there. Um, flavored beers are allowed to stay on store shelves. I know people in Park City like their alcohol and uh, mini bottles are full on banned. So none of those cute little concierge, many bottles of liquor anywhere in the state. Um, but an interesting one, the bill would let you carry a drink from the bar to a restaurant table, which wasn't allowed before, as long as you're escorted by an employee of the establishment you are in. I think anyone who has dined or gotten a drink, um, let's say at the No Name Saloon or, or anywhere else uh, in Park City has encountered some interesting Utah liquor laws about where they can and can't stand, where they can and can't move, where they need to order food with their drinks in order to get their drinks, where they can just order drinks and not food. Um, So I think this will add a little bit more um, ease of use for some of these owners who have multiple licenses under one roof, where they're allowed to have patrons who start out in the bar, say they're waiting for their table, they're drinking their drinks while their table. Um, is getting ready, their table becomes ready while they're still finishing their drink. They are now allowed to take drink to their restaurant table as long as they're escorted by an employee of the restaurant they're eating in.
0: Okay, um, Senate Bill 271, this deals with what we call fractional ownership or co-owned homes. T- what's this doing?
3: Yeah, so this one, it's it's really kind of, almost kind of the same argument as the short-term rental one. Y- Utah is a very pro-property rights state. And this one, I know Park City and Summit County seem to be uh, being a little bit picked on over the last few weeks by the legislature with some of these things that have have come down, um, seeming to address specifically what's going on in your area. Um, And this one would just kind of further clarify that you can't um, regulate uh, multiple people owning a property, and, and this is an interesting one because you, you have the, the argument in Park City. The people in Park City may, and obviously the council was receptive to that passing an ordinance um, regulating short-term rentals. But when you look at it at a more statewide level, it kind of goes into this affordable housing argument. Say you have you're in your early twenties. You just graduated college. You have your first job out of college. You can't afford a house, but rents are crazy. You might come together with four of your friends, buy a three-bedroom, two-bedroom home, and all live together there. Um, this would kind of, if if you lived in a place that would regulate that, maybe that's not allowed, and and that kind of would take away from some of these more attainable housing options in other parts of the state. So I think. It's interesting because it did have broad support in the Senate. Um, We'll see what happens when it goes to the House this week, but it's it's a complicated one. It's a little more complicated than uh, I know some people in Park City would hope, but uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on this one, too.
0: Okay. Uh, Food tax uh, repeal changes. Tell me about this.
3: Yeah, so so House Bill 101 um, went through committee last week. It would eliminate the state part of the food tax, which is only about 1.7% of uh, the tax on your groceries. Um, I think it would amount to about a $20 million a year tax cut, Um, but this would um, affect the people with the lowest income and fixed incomes the most because they spend proportionally way more of their paycheck um, on groceries than someone who makes a lot more money. Um, so there's a lot of people who support this, but it was also tied to an effort to amend the Utah Constitution to eliminate the earmark on uh, funding for education. That was a big controversial one. The uh, Utah Teachers Association came out against it. All these education groups came out against it. They've altered it slightly. So now it wouldn't eliminate that earmark entirely. It would also it would mean that income tax does need to go to education. But money that gets left over can go to other things as well. Um, And right now in the Utah Constitution, state income tax funds, public education and public education only so this would open it up to being able to fund other things as well. Um, this is going through the Senate right now, but the constitutional amendment that needs to happen as well is an interesting one. That actually won't be on the ballot until 2024. So even if this does pass through this year, it might be two, maybe three years before we actually see any change on your grocery bill.
0: Hmm. Okay, um, wanted to mention also the state flag is back.
3: Yeah, so this one we thought was kind of dead for a while. It languished in the House Rules Committee after passing out of the Senate really early in the session. Um And it actually has a hearing this morning, starts in about 15 minutes. So Senator Dan McKay is getting his day in front of the utah house of representatives to present his case on why utah needs a new flag i think we talked a couple weeks ago about how kind of interesting this one is there's an economic argument a branding argument why utah might want a more hip and modern looking flag you can obviously merchandise that a lot more with people selling t-shirts trucker hats what have you Um, And it would be a little bit more in line with some of our neighboring states, Colorado, Arizona have similar style flag a little bit more, um, not just a state seal on a blue field like the current one is. So this is an interesting one. It's gotten a lot of very unexpected pushback um, from some very dedicated people in the community who apparently really, really feel strongly about our current flag, but we'll see where this one goes. This has kind of been a fun one we've been following.
0: Yeah, so the original bill, well, the, the flag that we have, that, then that remains, right? That this other one would only be used for merchandising opportunity? Yeah, so
3: effectively Utah would have two flags. The way I understand the bill, that the current flag we have now, that it flies above every state building, would become the ceremonial flag Um, and would still be used at official government functions, would still be at the state capitol. And then this new flag, this new hip fun flag would be kind of an everyday use flag. People would would be able to merchandise it, but it would also be an official in law state flag as well. So they could be used interchangeably, but the current blue flag with the state seal would become a ceremonial flag only.
0: Okay, well stay healthy and good luck getting through uh, midnight. Thursday. all right
3: thank you Leslie
0: appreciate Thanks, Sean. it that's KUER political reporter Sean Higgins for the Utah League of Women Voters Mormon Women for Ethical Government and seven individual plaintiffs filed a response to the state legislature motion to dismiss their case over jan- gerrymandering last year third district court denied that dismissal the lawsuit moving forward and on the phone with an update I have the executive director of Better Boundaries and Park City resident Katie Wright uh, good morning
4: Good morning, thank you, Leslie. So where are we with this lawsuit? Yeah, so the next stage is a hearing on July 11th at the Utah Supreme Court. So the defendants in the case, which is the legislature filed um, something that's called an interlocutory appeal. Um, The plaintiffs uh, filed a counter appeal and that is now going to be heard at the Utah Supreme Court. Um, And that was always expected that it would make it to the highest court in our state and the lawyers are busy preparing for that hearing.
0: Okay, so back up a bit and just give our listeners an abbreviated history of how we even got here.
4: Absolutely, so Better Boundaries Utah is a advocacy nonprofit that is focused on bringing independent redistricting to the state of Utah. We are extremely gerrymandered, and the impact of that is we have unaccountable politicians that are insulated from voters because they draw lines that make it very easy for them to get reelected and very hard for the people to hold them accountable. Um, We know that gerrymandering happens in all states by whatever parties in power, but with a supermajority here in Utah, we have a very extreme um, situation. So our organization passed a proposition on the ballot. Um, Utahans voted in favor of it. And um, we were all set to have voter center standards. However, the legislature repealed that citizen initiative and replaced it with something that was very watered down. So last fall, we uh, worked diligently to pass um, new maps. And unfortunately they were extremely gerrymandered and the plaintiffs um, had had enough and filed a lawsuit on March 17th of 2022. Yeah,
0: so how, I mean, Better Boundaries really kind of came about as an organization due to the, the redistricting efforts?
4: Yes, absolutely. That, that's our primary purpose. Our, our, um, we also do some government accountability work. For instance, we are tracking some bills in the legislature, but our main focus is to bring um, really fair maps to Utah to create a more accountable government that's responsive to the voters.
0: Yeah. So, how is it that you're being funded to fight this lawsuit? As
4: we know, attorneys uh, yeah, so are No, they're not. So, our role right now is to financially support the plaintiffs. We have um, some national one um, national funder and really hundreds of grassroots supporters across the state of Utah. So, I am buoyed all the time by people who send checks from twenty five dollars to two hundred and fifty dollars to twenty five hundred dollars to really make sure this moves forward. Our attorneys, the attorneys on the case are a national organization called Campaign Legal Center. They are a nonpartisan, as are we, organization that um, funds voting rights litigation. And they are working entirely pro bono. But we also have a team of really wonderful Utah-based lawyers, David Ryman at Parr Brown, and Troy Boer and his team at Zimmerman and Boer. And those are our trial and um, appellate uh, attorneys. And so they are working at low bono rates, but there still is a cost. And so Better Boundaries is um, taking on that burden on behalf of the plaintiffs.
0: All right, and I just wanna mention, I think coming up in a couple of weeks here, uh, March 10th, Friday at noon, you will be uh, offering a litigation update webinar. So is this something anybody can tune into?
4: Absolutely, they can visit our website to find the webinar, it's betterboundaries.com. Org and um, the webinar will have the attorneys and the plaintiffs discussing the case and where it is and our case is um, not unlike ones that have been successful in Pennsylvania and North Carolina the lawsuit is based on the congressional maps um, the Utah Constitution protects against discrimination based on freedom of speech and freedom of assembly and all of those are um, being threatened by these maps and so the Attorney will walk through um how the Utah Constitution protects people and how we're bringing the case to the courts. All right.
0: Um what else is is going on? You mentioned that you're kind of tracking some bills in the state legislature. Anything of concern to you?
4: Yes. Um we are opposed to a bill called House Bill 4220 422, sorry, and it's also HR17. Um the idea behind it is to make it even more difficult for citizens to bring an initiative. Um, it creates a 60% threshold of vote versus a majority vote threshold that we have on the on the books now, whenever there's a tax impact to an initiative. And this is really just the latest in, an, in a um, move by the state legislature to make it harder and harder for citizens to exercise their constitutional right to an initiative. Our Utah law holds that the people and the legislature are co-equals in the law. However, right now in a very practical way, um, it is easy for our legislators to pass laws with little debate um, and very, very, very difficult for citizens to bring um, something through the, the ballot process. And so this is just one more bill or law that makes that hard. Um, even harder and it seems
0: like such a conflict of interest i mean how could they possibly vote on something like that when they're the you
4: know the 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 judge and jury there right yes i mean this this is the challenge and i think you know uh, as someone who lives in summit county i feel the impact of gerrymandering in my life here as a utah citizen where we have no one from our community representing us on the hill we have to use our taxpayer money to uh pay for um, lobbyists to protect our interests and protect local government control. And it's frustrating. Um, so there's no doubt that, you know, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, most voters are not comfortable with unchecked power. And when you have a supermajority, you have unchecked power. And that's what we're facing here in Utah. Yeah, any other bills you wanted to highlight? That you're yes, um, Representative Berklin, who represents some of Summit County, is forwarding a bill 537 that gets rid of vote by mail as the default, default option. 93% of voters in Utah used vote by mail. It's wildly popular among everyone. It makes voting accessible, especially in rural areas. So to roll back this really wonderful reform would be a real disservice to Utahns and voters. So we're watching that one. And one other bill is HB 393. This um, allows, um, it it eliminates in some circumstances the two ways that someone can get on the ballot. People can get on the ballot by gathering signatures or through the caucus convention. And having that dual path makes, again, more choices for voters and we think choice is good. It creates competition um, and it eliminates that. And that really heads us towards a place where we're electing people on the political extreme instead of people who are more moderate and reflect the voters of Utah. So we are also uh, opposing that bill.
0: Okay, anything else you wanted to mention? We appreciate the update.
4: Yeah, I'd just like to say that um, Senator Ron Winterton is a Senator that represents a lot of Summit County and he is on the very important Government and Operations Committee. He is the chair and he is reading and looking at a lot of these bills this afternoon. So shoot him an email if you want to further democracy in our area. All right. Katie Wright
0: is the executive director of Better Boundaries. Thanks so much for your time this morning.
4: Thank you.